0: Hello, print
1: friends, and welcome to a special bonus episode. We are 10 days out from the world's most prestigious print fair, hosted by the International Fine Print Dealers Association. And I have a treat for you. I got to sit down with Jenny Gibbs, the executive director of the IFPDA, to talk about all things print dealing and the history of this incredible event. But we did not stop there. We are giving away four tickets. That's two sets of two for you and a friend to go to the fair that's going to be held at the Javits Center in New York City from the 27th through the 30th of this very month. Because the fair is right around the corner, this giveaway is going to last a short 48 hours. So head on over to the Hello Print Friend Instagram, find the episode announcement, and there will be details to enter there. And without further ado, here is Jenny Gibbs. Hi, Jenny, how's it going?
0: It's going well, thank you.
1: Oh, it's so nice to meet you and see you and get to chat a little bit.
0: Big fan big fan of your podcast.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, the IFPDA really looms large in my print world legends. And so I'm really excited for a chance to have a focused chat about it. Yeah. And before we get into all that, would you let the listeners know the who you are, where you are, What You Do questions?
0: Absolutely. I'm Jenny Gibbs, and I'm the executive director of the IFPDA and also the IFPDA Foundation. And the IFPDA is based in New York City.
1: Wonderful. And so for you, what is your first memory of coming to understand that printmaking was a thing? That understanding that there was this whole world inside the art world that was printmaking?
0: Yeah, um, such a good question. So I I come from kind of a fine arts generalist background. I was a, a fine arts generalist at Christie's for many years. And then before I came to the IFPDA, I was running the master's program in art business at Sotheby's Institute. So this is my, my long way of, of saying, I also ran the appraisal studies program of fine and decorative arts at NYU years ago. So I have too many decades of this <laughs> generalist experience. So I've always known prints in a casual way, but it wasn't until I came to the IFPDA that I understood, well, the depth of the passion that print people have for prints, which is amazing. And also a little bit intimidating sometimes when I realized Uh how important this fair is, the IFPDA print fair is to this community. You know, I hear this from curators and collectors. Oh, this event is the most important thing in our year. (laughs) It's "It's great. And it's also, we, we take that, we take it very seriously.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. And then, so what, you talked a little bit about kind of your background before the IFPDA. What was sort of your motivation in making that jump and in plunging into this executive director position of a print world?
0: Yeah. So, be- as I said, just before I came to the IFPDA, I was running the MA in art business at Sotheby's. And I I learned that the IFPDA was looking for a new executive director through a friend, a colleague. And I was, I was a little bit intrigued because I had been to the fair. I'd been going to the fair for years. It was actually, uh, in all candor, it was the only art fair that my husband and I would go to before I had to go to art fairs for my job. Oh, uh-huh. And we would go to our, with our friends because we loved the work and we loved the... I, I started off as an old master person. I was old master paintings at Christie's and then was my career evolved, came to work with a lot of contemporary artists. So I loved that the IFPDA fair was old masters and contemporary. Mm -hmm. And I loved, obviously, that the price point could be a few hundred to a couple of million. So I was intrigued with uh, the thought of having a hand in, 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 in running the fair. And it brings together a lot of different interests. And I think Skills of mine, both and because I've, I've been on both the nonprofit side, obviously, mm-hmm. and then I've also been on the, the the commercial side. I was a museum director in the Chicago area for a few years. Ran graduate programs for Massachusetts College of Art and Design. But then, as I mentioned, I've also worked with Christie's and Sotheby's. And had some gallery experience early on as well, so I love this idea of being able to to help manage this nonprofit organization, whose main activity is this fair, and have my business be helping these other businesses succeed in the art market. So it's a little bit of you know brings definitely with the logistics of the fair and the special projects and working with all of these artists. It brings in my museum experience being able to understand the agenda and priorities of the gallerists and then being able just being able to provide like excellent customer service to thousands of VIPs. Mm. It's a lot. And it's it just a really fun way to kind of weave together all of these different threads from my, from my background.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Just thinking about having so many plates spinning at the same time under the umbrella of what the IFPDA does. It sounds overwhelming and exciting.
0: In equal parts. <laughs> yes, it is. You know, and the programming has been super fun. I should have put, put that in there as well, because I think that one of the ways in which we helped the fair evolve in 2019 and that we've continued online and are doing again in person this year is with our programming. And that is with my background as an educator. This is like putting together you know, these these seminars, these symposiums, just asking smart people what they want to do and then helping them do that publicly has been incredibly rewarding. And being able to continue with our online print month programs it's, mm-hmm. it's a little crazy because we're doing, we're still doing print month online while we're also planning the physical fair and then doing our programming in person. But I heard from so many people that they just really appreciated being able to attend these programs, even if they can't get to New York. Yeah, And even like with the Metropolitan Museum of Art, with the Met, print study day used to be an in-person thing that happened during print week at the fair. And when we moved online during COVID, we saw we were bringing in people from Azerbaijan, right? Like when I looked at the countries that people were coming from to these Zooms, we're like, wow, we we didn't know we had print people on Azerbaijan, but great. And so we we talked about it and decided to keep Print Study Day as an online thing as opposed Mm -hmm. to an in-person thing so that we can have the biggest reach possible. But that said, the fair, obviously... I think is more important than ever is a place to see prints in person, right? We can talk about them and for hours online and Zooms are okay for getting up some of the details, but it's such a tactile the printmaking is tactile. It's mm-hmm. such a tactile thing. Plus we miss each other. We miss Absolutely. The people. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
1: I came from a master's degree in 16th century prints to go ah. to work for Davidson Galleries. Great. And a charter member of the IFPDA. Yeah. And I remember that feeling after having all this heady intellectual engagement in printmaking in the history and the context and the social context and the political context and the zooming in on the Mets website into all the details to coming into Davidson and yeah. realizing I can hold these yeah. and I can see them in person. And what yeah. an incredibly different experience that was. Both of them are yeah. really rewarding and interesting. Yeah. But as you speak to that in person, you can pick it up in its mat and put your face against it and yeah. feel the history in it. If it's a historical print kind of in, in your hands, it's, it's very special and it is and unique. it's I
0: mean it's one of the things that makes art so powerful right is that like aura of the the maker mm-hmm. and for someone who came so you're also an old master person by training right for me art history first was history with pictures you know I love the history yep. and I love the idea that I can I love the idea of seeing something through the eyes of someone who lived in the 16th century and of holding and touching something, this idea, this continuity. You know, it's a little like time travel.
1: Mm, I love that. Yeah, I totally agree. So can you give us a little history of the IFPDA? So when did it start? Who started it? What was its goals then? Yeah.
0: So the IFPDA was founded in 1987 by... A really legendary print dealer and scholar, Sylvan Cole. And there were five original founding members. There were Sylvan, Mary Ryan, an amazing gallerist, Martin Gordon, who, for those who've been around for a while, will know as the founder of Gordon's Print Price Annual, which was the old, I mean, this was the Bible for pricing before the internet. Um, I remember Christie's when I was, when I was running the sort of general fine art department at Christie's East, we would have like an entire wall of Gordon's print price annual. And that's mm-hmm. where you'd go for your comps. And then there was Dorothy Schneiderman and Paul McCarran. And, you know, Cole's idea was really to start an exclusive organization that just championed p- prints as a fine art form and showcased the best dealers in the original prints. And I think It's interesting looking at the the mission statement and some of the language. I think that early on there was there was sort of almost a an an, a tone of apology or defensiveness. (laughs) We're like, well, of course they are, but in 1986, maybe not, maybe not so much. It's it's a conversation that fortunately we don't have to have as much. That like, of course, prints are a fine art form, but but the early language was very much had a different tone.
1: Yeah, I guess coming up on forty years then that it's been in its existence. I'm, I'm born in 1984, so and I'm so I was like doing the math there. I'm not going tell you
0: when I was born.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just I'm just a little bit older than the mm-hmm. IFPDA, okay. and and so. How has that evolved? You know, what are some of the things that have changed, as I'm sure it has over huh. almost four decades?
0: Yes, it has changed. In the, in the early years, the membership did not include private dealers, and it didn't include publishers. There was a requirement that you had to have a physical gallery space open to the public, and publishers were were not a part of the picture at all. And I think there was sort of a feeling that, that was there was a little bit of a, Conflict of interest there, and you know now I'm happy to say that more than a third of our members are publishers. Yeah, and and this is where to to be able to have to bring David Tunic and have these amazing old master prints, and then also have the the newest editions, things which which are not even ready yet, which hopefully will be ready by the end of the (laughs) month. Coming from some of our publishers is where it gets really interesting.
1: Yeah. So what is the kind of conflict of interest? I'm sort of just curious about that. Was it just that the publisher should be pure artistic motivation or something or, you know, or conflict of not, interest with it's the it's gallery?
0: It's not even that complicated, although actually it is kind of complicated. And, and it is a conversation that we still have amongst ourselves in that. In the print world with publishers, we talk about the primary market and the art market, mm-hmm. meaning something that hasn't been sold before. But in the print world, there's primary and then there's publisher primary, right? Yeah. And so that's where it gets a little, a little, a little more nuanced and a little bit complicated. We have publishers who are gallerists who are selling primary market work, work directly from the artist that hasn't been sold before. And then we also have publishers who are selling work directly. And so it's, it's, Wonderful seeing these relationships amongst the members. It is a very, very, as all of the art market is, it benefits more from c- collaboration than mm-hmm. from competition. And so kind of working out the, the rules of the road and the protocols and understanding who's bringing what and making sure that, you know, that everyone's lane has been respected. Yeah, so to speak. So I, I do understand wh- why in the beginning, particularly with that concentration of mostly dealers in Old Master through early 20th century works, there may have been a little bit of a, an anxiety about bringing in publishers. And it's it's really funny, the, some of the conversations that I'm privy to, because I will hear from from the from the secondary market galleries, and like, oh, it's not fair. The publishers can just make new work. You know? and the <laughs> publishers are like, you, know, it's really not fair. The secondary galleries can just go out and get new work. And of course, both of these processes, considerable funds and expertise and time, so yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and And, you know, I mean, even from my experience in the dealer side of the print world, I can think, well, it's it's not fair. These secondary market folks have an established market. They it's not an right. uphill battle. You don't need to talk someone into a Picasso. I mean, right, right. There's so and then yeah, and then there's so many different elements. And I've I've been in that commercial side of the print world for for ten years. And you know, I've been also seeing that can get complicated in terms of when the publisher owns some and the artist owns some and then the galleries maybe I mean it's right. it's as you said it's it's complex but of course working together and keeping all those relations good just requires good communication and honesty and exactly. pr- people are good people that tends not to be really an issue which is nice Exactly as exactly. long as just expectations are expressed ahead of time, I think, like many things in the world. Yeah. Yeah,
0: And, and that whole, the whole notion of, well, communication and transparency, and that is something that is more important now than it was before the internet, right? I mean, you you have to be transparent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really funny.
1: (laughs) And so that's a good sort of jump into my next question, which has to do with the fact that The IFPDA and the IFPDA fair, Mm -hmm. it's serving people who are selling antique work, modern work, and contemporary work. So, And I sort of think of that as as almost sort of three distinctive categories because, you know, generally speaking, the Frankenthaler crowd is different from the Rembrandt crowd – and, and then the contemporary, contemporary work. And, you know, and there are people, of course, who just, I'm a print collector. I do it across the board. But it's the, the context in which the prints are produced are so different. Mm-hmm. The context in which they are um, authenticated and priced. I mean, all of that is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And so kind of meeting the needs of antique, modern, and contemporary under one umbrella. Yeah. How does the IFPDA and the fair Kind of go about doing that, or maybe I'm overcomplicating it. Maybe it's not as as, as complicated as I think.
0: Well, it, no, it is complicated, and I think even just in terms of like the the mechanics of putting together the the fair, physically putting together mm. the fair, which, which is pretty incredible. It's like we're we it's like we're building a small town for four days <laughs> and then I taking love it that. apart. Prince City
1: USA. It is. It is Prince <laughs> City
0: USA but the, the the needs and the requirements of some of our old master galleries are it's a very different aesthetic from the gallery from a white cube space and so right. we we try really hard and we don't always get it right but we're trying to be able to accommodate these these different presentation requirements but it, it, it is it is for sure an ongoing project and one that re- just requires constant communication and work
1: mm, -hmm Yeah. And so are there actually kind of different booths? I'm just sort of thinking about, you said the white cube. And of course, having done print fairs and art fairs, I can imagine just like that classic white cube. And then, Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe a, a nice sort of a distinctive beige <laughs> yeah. antique dealers or something make it feel like a library.
0: I mean, the is, darker walls, the, uh-huh. a, the dark, a dark ceiling scrim, a dark wall, a different kind of lighting. Yeah. So to make it feel more like a cabinet and the, and mm-hmm. the decay with within the old, the other sense of the word as yeah. opposed to a white cube space, which is extra hard in a place like the Javits, which is a giant contemporary space.
1: I would be kind of hard pressed to think of another fair just off the top of my head, and my that is showing 16th century through the ink just dried yesterday. Yeah, kind of work. So it really is quite an unusual undertaking, you, you don't really necessarily have a existing playbook to draw from.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and some of that even comes into play in terms of booth placements. Mm-hmm. Um, because has the, the river pavilion where we are, has this beautiful wall of windows overlooking the river and this amazing daylight, but we also don't want direct sunlight on 16th yes. century prints, yes. right? So, um, so we we literally take like the ang- the time of day and angle of sun into consideration when we figure out when we try and place people in the best possible place for their booth. It's, it's really like 3D chess uh, with with that.
1: That's so interesting. But yeah, also, of course, very very important because you know, particularly with. All art collection, but I would always feel it more distinctly with these older works yeah. that we're you know what's stewards
0: funny of them. them is you know? that we, we think we, we do, we try really hard to keep, of course, we don't want to put any any works on paper on direct sunlight, ideally, certainly not for mm-hmm. all, any length of time. But And we we think that the old masters are going to be the most delicate, but it's funny in having conversations with some of our old master Galleries, they'll be like, "Oh, this stuff has been around for hundreds of years. It's fine. it's it's some of the contemporary stuff is more is more delicate, right? Not the media that maybe hasn't been time tested in the mm-hmm. same way."
1: Well and then yeah, and also I imagine color comes into that hugely, like most of what you're seeing, unless it's been hand colored by those helpful people in the eighteenth century, which i right. definitely see some sixteenth century <laughs> right. prints kind of massacred a little bit by the the coloring book 18th century fad. Right. But
0: yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. That's that's much to keep in mind. Yeah. And when did the print first start? And where was it originally?
0: This is the 29th edition of the fair. We did have two years off, obviously, these past two years. But yes, the 29th. And so it, it had been for most of its history at the Park Avenue Armory. Mm-hmm. Um, and it moved to the Javits Center, to the River Pavilion in 2017, was the first year for that. And that was Really in the hopes that we could become even more expansive and inclusive on the Park Avenue Armory is a magical space, but did not allow us to have as many exhibitors as we would have liked. And we're really tickled that the Armory Show is now at the Javits. You know, we like to, we're we're happy to (laughs) pioneer it for them. We were the first art fair at the Javits and the folks at the Javits really didn't know quite what to make of us. It is very different from like the car show. I reckon it <laughs> would be, yeah. <laughs> any of those other sort of industry trade shows, the coming in and building walls and hanging art on them is something that the Javits had no experience with whatsoever. Mm. So I I will say... I was kind of tickled. I heard from one of my team that, in speaking with uh, the, the powers that be at the Javits, that they actually found the two fairs that were the most difficult of all the fairs. And the Javits is the. The Javits is the busiest convention center in the United States. So the two fairs that they find the most difficult to work with are the Armory Show and the IFPDA. (laughs) I think that speaks to the particularities, peculiarities, the specialties of our our trade, of our business.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, there might be some of that sense of people who aren't In the art world, I think it's kind of a mix of just not being educated on how it works. And then also, there can be a level of intimidation, too. You know, there's an unfortunate attitude often that I didn't. I didn't study art, so art's not for me. Right. And then I think that's, again, one of the wonderful things about something like print, as you spoke Prince. to earlier,
0: mm-hmm. you,
1: 200 to 2 million under one roof. And right. That,
0: and, and just like yeah. the, the democratic nature of prints and mm-hmm. printmaking. And we, with some of our programming, print month programming, we've included artists whose primary Vehicle for their prints is, is wheat paste on the street. Uh-huh. You know that there. I, I love that our that prints can exist both in museums and also on telephone poles. Yep. You know?
1: Yeah. Is there any programming that you want to particularly highlight? Knowing that we've got the fair coming in just a little bit over a week.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm really really excited that Via Selmans is speaking. She is receiving the. Jordan Schnitzer Excellence in Printmaking Award, and and doing a talk with Samantha Ripner, who authored the catalog raisonné of Via's prints. But but Via is known for being somewhat reticent and not she doesn't particularly enjoy public speaking. And so I am so grateful, I am so thankful that she has agreed to do this. And there have been so many people who are well, I've never heard her do any any public speaking. So there are just a lot of people who are really excited to come and pay homage to her incredible work and to hear a little bit more. We also have Derek Adams. We commissioned Derek to create a site-specific installation. At the, the, the big wall as you enter the fair this year will be Derek's piece, which is called Eye Candy. Fantastic. And he's doing a talk on Sunday with Jennifer Farrell from The Met. And I'm I'm really looking forward to that. We have we have a lot of programs. I think we have what 14 programs in person at the fair. So three or four programs every day.
1: That's really exciting.
0: So it's it's, it's it might be too much. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And My are team they is being, going, yes, it's, it's too yeah, much. Yeah, They're like Jenny, <laughs> Jenny, but I'm I, the same I'm way. I'm a person who I like, I, I'm a yes person. I'm just like, mm-hmm. yes, let's try that. And then we'll figure out how to make it work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Will they be streamed and accessible online at all or activated?
0: they going to be streamed because we do want people to come to the fair. But most, if not all of them, will be available on our YouTube channel after the fair, so yeah, our YouTube channel has all of our printleth programs, including the ones that we're doing with the one that we did this morning. And then once they get through the post edits, we will also add our in-person programming. So for sure, we'll have, we will, we will definitely have Bia's talk on our YouTube Great. channel. Mm-hmm. We also have Hank Willis Thomas is, is doing a talk and Enrique Chagoya. Both of those talks will be online and hopefully the rest of the program will as well.
1: Very cool. And so as we're 10 days out, mm-hmm, what is front of mind for you right now? I mean, I assume that this, in a way, kind of the whole IFPDA calendar revolves around the list last week in October, early November. What's kind of the the... Hurdles you still like you need, you feel like you still need to cross, or things that you're really grateful you have checked off. What's this time like for you as the yeah, executive I mean, director? Us,
0: really, by this point, all of the hard work that we've been doing nine months prior is is all kind of coming into play. So. Mm. It is that this is obviously doing a, doing a fair is, is there's so many moving parts. 76 exhibitors plus their staff plus I think we have 54 presenters. You know we have 10,000 VIPs. We have it's it's just a lot, and so we really start locking things down as far in advance as we can. Mm-hmm. They're the big variable for us, of course. Is always just well. Who's going to come? Who's going to come yeah. out? And um, that's the, we. That's that's the part where we just sort of have to wait and see. But I will say that we're. I I am kind of astonished at ticket sales. We are. We're we're two hundred percent above where we were at this point in twenty nineteen. And so I think that really speaks to just this pent-up demand to to yeah. get back out and see each other and to see Prince in person. I had expected, because all of our ticketing is online now, as mm-hmm. it is for all of the fairs, I, I expected that we would see an uptick in in some of the tickets, but I did not expect that we would just see it like across the board. Our our VIP sales is up over a thousand percent. That's so cool. <laughs> Which sounds like a crazy number and it is, but I think that, I think that the, the opening day is going to be robustly attended, but I don't know, right? This is always the, the this is the big variable. So that's what yeah. I'm thinking about as we do it's like you're having this great party, and you set the table, and you make the food, and then you just have to wait and see who shows up.
1: Absolutely. And so for the VIPs, I feel like people you know, may or may not know who've been to print fairs or art fairs, that there's two versions of the tickets, often, sometimes three or mm-hmm. four. Mm-hmm. What do the VIPs at the IFPDA get? Is it early access? Is it the champagne lounge?
0: It is it is early access and then and then access throughout the fair. We also have a number we do have many VIP programs including some champagne receptions at Ruiz Healy and cocktail reception at the Print Center formerly IPCNY breakfast at Pace Prints. We do have a whole program of VIP activities that start even before the fair opens. But at the fair itself, the the main thing is that early access. Early access to the booths and early access to to the gallerists, to the dealers, the opportunities to to have those questions. I mean, it's no it's no secret that the majority of all sales that happen at any art fair happen on that first day.
1: Yeah. 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 And sometimes, sometimes the last day, I feel like it's like, I always think of art fairs as like a, yeah, a soccer match, you know, the action happens either right Right. at the beginning or right at the end. (laughs) And then like, sometimes you have some days in the middle where you're just kicking the ball back and forth. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so that's amazing. And I think it speaks to the fact that everyone is so thrilled to, as you say, to be meeting up again, to be seeing each other again, to be seeing art in person again. And so you had two years off. Yeah. From your point of view, how was COVID for the print market? I, I know that some people have said that sales went up initially and then cooled off. You know, I know some dealers who've reflected, but from where you stand, what was that period of lockdown like?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, I was laughing when you said two years off because it was actually like two years of, oh my God, how are we going to do all of this online? And we did. Yeah. It, it, it was for sh- for us organizationally of course it was rough because mm-hmm. the, the print fair is is the thing that that keep that it is the driver behind the IFPDA and you know, financially important and just sort of spiritually important for us mm-hmm. and so our immediate agenda was to to find a way to continue to support our members online and so with 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 fewer staff and with a steep learning curve for all of us. We just dug in and we f- came up with, I think, some of the nicest online viewing rooms. I mean, people have said there were kind of industry standards at that point Our online viewing rooms and the online fairs. Print week became print month. We all became these sort of experts in online broadcasting, videographers, which was just, and it was, it was, it was really amazing to see the, the support from all of the museums that we partner with all of our cultural partners from our members like people really wanted to make sure that we were still able to have these conversations mm-hmm. and meet each other even if it was just online. in terms of and in terms of the market and sales, you've probably heard that for for many galleries it was actually a surprisingly, Profitable time, they may have found the volume of transactions was fewer because they were only online, but the margins were higher because they didn't have the expense of the fares and the travel and the events, the shipping. Just just mm-hmm. shipping alone is prohibitively expensive, and so that you know this was also on the one hand, I was relieved to hear that so many of our of our members were doing well. I was also though a little bit anxious because I thought, well, gosh, if everyone can do so <laughs> without traveling and fares, where does that leave us? Yeah. But the answer to that was that we sort of started to see that the sales were happening mostly with clients who are already known to mm-hmm. to the galleries and. The work that was being published and the work that was being shown was work that was already in progress. And so after two years, the momentum sort of started to trail off. You need to get out and meet new people yep. and to, to publish new work. And and so ha- happily, everyone is willing and able to, to come back out in person.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think from working in the commercial gallery field through it, a couple of different places, I sort of found like, I think initially there was people sitting at home, looking at their walls, not spending money on travel or food and deciding that they wanted some new work or that they always meant to get this one piece, but they just had never had the time to sit down and write the email to their gallerist. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was great at first, as you say, but then eventually like that kind of was like well people were like well now I have new work (laughs) and like and then and so it sort of um, as you said did trail off in an interesting way and 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 thank goodness that we can meet together safely again kind of within this timeline because I think it could have started to get scary and I think it did get scary for some people but could have got started to get even scarier if people couldn't see and engage with you say like with the aura which like yeah. I, I'm, it may be woo, but I am a big believer in the aura. I, I, no, absolutely it's yeah, there. Absolutely. It, it really is there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think the, the people amongst our members for whom it was hardest were the publishers because yeah. well, obviously there were, there were projects that just didn't happen or projects that were delayed, that were postponed because it wasn't safe for artists to travel. If the mm-hmm. artist is, if you're, if you're an international studio and you're working with artists, they need to come to you to do the work. And there was, so, so what we're seeing is this great kind of blossoming, this, this pent up supply of work now, all of these projects that are happening now in preparation for the fair, which is great. But, but just thinking about how the publishers were able to continue working during the fair I mean, during during COVID, um, I had the, the great pleasure. I, I drove out to visit Tandem Press in Wisconsin, oh, yeah. uh-huh. uh, and we wore our masks, and we were all very safe. But having a conversation with them about what projects they were able to continue during COVID, and this is just funny. This is shows my sort of my my digital brain working. And they were talking about the project that they had been working on with. Allison Saar. And you know, that this is work, a, a project with Allison Saar that they had begun before COVID and were able to continue because they've been working with her for so many years. And in my mind, I was imagining digital files that were going back and forth and sort of both obviously using the intertubes to get this yeah. project done. And they were like, no, 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 she's, she's carving the blocks and mailing them to us, right? And so they showed me. <laughs> I just love the that it was still that we were working remotely, uh-huh, uh, but really, but in this very analog way, plates and blocks that are carved and then sent back and forth by FedEx.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love that. I was thinking i I heard of a a couple of places that were sending litho plates through the mail mm-hmm. too, and I think it's kind yeah. of a similar idea and And while it worked and it was definitely a necessary solution at the time, I didn't know anyone who who didn't say. But there's nothing like standing there together and right. seeing the first proof together, and yeah. and you know the real time. Oh, like what do you think? Is this is this red to orange? What do you like? I mean, like those yeah. kind of magical collaboration moments. Totally, were, yeah, I mean, were lost. The studio, yeah, the
0: sound and the smell of the studio mm. are, are amazing. I love ULAE ha, had did a series of great Instagram posts. And what was their hashtag? Was I think it was hashtag strangely satisfying sound <laughs> something like that. You know, just the, the sounds of, yeah. of the rolling and the pulling, which is great. But yeah, I mean, the, and the variations in color. I mean, we you try and FaceTime with people, mm-hmm. and I often, when we do all of our online programs, I'll have multiple devices going, all watching the same thing. I can see the huge variations in color yeah. from screen to screen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for for sure, it is it it is. A pale facsimile, yes. Yeah. In person,
1: and so for this year, back and better than ever. Mm-hmm. Is there anything like new or particularly exciting? You know, you talked about some great programming, but is there a new publisher you're super keen to see what they do, or a, a new just angle that you're taking this year? Yeah,
0: we have we have a lot of new things this year. I'm happy to say. So coming. Coming out of Covid and this online platform, as I said, one of the things that was great about it was that we were able to expand our reach and to be more super inclusive, so that even just amongst our members, so that our online fairs you know would i think we had a hundred and twenty a hundred and thirty of our hundred and fifty exhibitors online, which is more than we can accommodate in mm-hmm. a physical space but we really wanted to to like keep this big tent feeling to to be able to make it accessible financially for for more of our members not just the 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 A listers with the big box galleries who we do all of the, the fairs but also the folks who had spent more time with the tabletop fairs and the satellite fairs so we added a tabletop section which i'm super excited about so But I think it's going to be really elegant. So in addition to our triple XL booths, we also have tables. That's so cool. So you'll see an even wider range, I think, than we've had Mm -hmm. in the past. And the tabletop section includes old master dealers and also some publishers. So there's going to be a range back there as well. Oh, yeah. And we also, this is the first time that we have invitational exhibitors. We reached out to, we have six invitational exhibitors and we're doing this in part because we we want to showcase. some, I don't want to say younger because that sounds ageist, but we're showcasing <laughs> some some emerging, shops. some nonprofits, yeah. some emerging talent who may or may not be known to our core audience. And it's just it's it's I'm really excited to see the the work that they're bringing to these booths. And we're really we're hoping. that some of these relationships also maybe lead to future membership. That, of course, is our not-so-hidden agenda. And then we have more projects, more curatorial projects. So I mentioned the Derek Adams site-specific installation, and that is the wall that, in 2019, Swoon was commissioned to create that project. Derek has that, that spot now. And then we have two other projects as well. We have Latoya Hobbs, who is one of the founding members of Black Women of Print, is also doing a large installation. She's bringing, so cool, she's bringing a really like colossal, epically scaled woodblock called Jeanette's Daughters and then her series of portraits of the other founding members from Black Women of Print. And we're doing a program with some of the current and former members of Black Women of Print that's being moderated by Kimberly Gant, curator from the Brooklyn Museum, And we're doing that in conjunction with the installation at the Met of the portfolio published by Black Women of Print in 2019, Continuum. So we're talking about these artists, these founding members of Black Women of Print, and then the artists whom they refer to as the four mothers, Emma Amos, Mm. Elizabeth Catlett. So it's this really wonderful sort of full circle conversation and work that comes out of it. And then we also have a curatorial project from Susan Tallman, mm-hmm. who is just brilliant. She's yeah. doing a couple of things at the fair. She's doing a talk on. She's currently at work on the catalog raisonné of Carrie James Marshall's prints, and so she is doing a talk. He he is a serial, I would say, almost compulsive printmaker, and he makes these. He makes them by himself in his studio. So they're literally. Thousands of prints by Carrie James Marshall that no one else has ever seen, no one but Susan. Mm. They've been at work on this for a few years, and she said every time that she's ready to go to press, he's like, "Oh, but wait, I haven't shown you these." <laughs> I'm gonna open up another flat file. So she's doing that talk, and then she's also curated related a curatorial project on tronies, and tronies are it's a 17th century Netherlandish trope in which they're not portraits. But they're sort of sort of generalized portraits. So you think about a lot of like the Rembrandt portraits, things that sort of look like portraits, but they're not portraits. The focus is on a type or a sort of g- general character study. More of a character study as opposed to a specific portrait mm-hmm. of a person. And this, of course, is something that Carrie James Marshall has done in his printmaking. Think of the portraits, those etchings that he did with Paulson Fontaine, handsome She's sort of a guy in a hoodie. Another one, beautiful. So she's bringing in some onies by Carrie James Marshall, and then from a number of other contemporary and old master artists. So it's going to be a focus on tronies. I'm making <sighs> air quotes, but I realize no one can see me. Yeah, <laughs> um, tronies from the 17th century through yesterday.
1: That's incredibly exciting. Everything you mentioned, I'm just grinning ear to ear. And yes, the wonderful Susan Tallman, who was cited extensively through my own thesis. So mm-hmm. I think this is a, a fangirl print world moment oh, for me. totally. Um, I am total that fangirl. taking that on. Yeah, yeah a total yeah.
0: fangirl. And I love the fact that, you know, with the, she is a literal rock star as well, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: And so what do you see for the future of the market? You know, having been in the the business a while and seeing it through COVID and this new integration and all the exciting things, what's on the horizon for print?
0: I think think it's a pretty bright horizon for, for print making and the print market, not to make it all about market, but that, but that is what we do. Mm -hmm. The, the fact that that we continue to have these huge audiences for the online programs, that our ticket sales are just off the chart, that we have so many people interested in becoming new members, new collectors coming to the fair, I think that the I, I think that the internet has overall been a pretty good thing for mm-hmm. us, both in terms of expanding our reach, as I said, but also in terms of it's it's. The, it's a medium. Yes, we do need to see it in person and it's super tactile, but it is better suited to the internet than, than perhaps some other media. Yeah, There's yeah. a certain comfort in, in, in an editioned work. Um, and obviously not all prints are editioned. This is masters were not, didn't exist in mm-hmm. editions as we know them, monotypes, there are all these unique works. But but when we think about edition work, it certainly does lend itself, I think, more comfortably to online sales, so I think all of this put together has put us in a pretty good, pretty good place going forward. Yeah, I don't think I don't think NFTs are going to supplant <laughs> no prints. <laughs> I agree. No, I'm just going to yeah. put that to bed right now. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that's going to happen.
1: Yeah, I, I I can't imagine. Yeah, I I yeah, I'm right there with you. And and even kind of to expand on that a little bit, I really think that. Just Instagram has done wonders for printmaking. Yes. yes. Because having someone, you know, having been someone who 2013, I'm i at Davidson. It's kind of before Instagram's really become yep. so ubiquitous. And I would try to explain process the process of how something right. was made to someone who came out off the street who's really interested, has money, wants to buy. Yep. And I'd go through all of it and they'd be like, So I'm looking at a copper plate? They'd be like, no. <laughs> No, no, no. Hold on. Okay. Right, Roll right. it back. Let me start again. And so the fact that you can see in real time in these really masterfully crafted videos yeah. that sometimes have music or sometimes have that, like, printmaking ASMR underneath, which, is, which yeah. is wonderful as well, That I, I think that gets just people more excited about it as collectors and as makers and, of course, as we know – the collector maker Venn diagram has a fair amount of overlap as well because people who understand how it's made often want to buy work.
0: Yeah. That's actually one of the things that I that I love about prints. I love that prints are the thing that artists have been collecting since Mm -hmm. Rembrandt Rembrandt we know had like went bankrupt in part because of (laughs) his enormous print collection, his (laughs) habit. I love when when jeff coons came and did a talk for us at the fair in 2019 he he stayed on for i don't know a couple of hours mostly in the old master booths right he's mm-hmm. like an avid collector of old master prints yeah you're absolutely right the people who the more you know about it the more the more prints you want um, yes
1: you know. <laughs> <laughs> like i yeah with 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 my budget and you were talking about the tabletop section i could like feel like my credit card like vibrating in my wallet just thinking about that in in anticipation. So when the time we have left, we've got a lot of emerging printmakers, a lot of student printmakers who are listening to the podcast regularly. Mm
0: -hmm. What do you
1: think is important for them to know? People who are just kind of starting on their making, selling, marketing journey as someone yeah. who works with, as you say, the, the A-listers and has put on this fair.
0: Yeah, I mean, for, I think that it's, it's largely the same advice that I would give to artists, print, whether printmakers or printmaking artists, which is really to be present as much as possible. And mm. that is why um, things like the, the fair are important. It's important to to do the work and to show up and to be nice and make mm-hmm. friends and be memorable f- for the right reasons, right? <laughs> <Yes>. Important <laughs> caveat. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, it's really not that much more complicated than that. Obviously, skill and talent and experience are all required, but, but being able to show up and do the work and be nice. This, this is the advice that I gave my kids growing up is what we mm-hmm. just show up Do the work, be nice, right? And and repeat. We'll we'll take you far. You will see the people at the top of the trade, both as dealers or as collaborative printmakers, as artists, almost always the the traits that they have in common are, they're nice. They Mm -hmm. work really hard and they always show up, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) There is no secret sauce beyond that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's perfect. I was going to, if I was to add anything else, I would say like, dress like you want to be there. That's (laughs) always good too, you know, is, is, is part of it. So, but yeah, that's beautiful. For me,
0: that goes with being memorable for the right reasons. Right. right? Exactly. (laughs) And so you mentioned at
1: the very top, the IFPDA foundation as well. So what is that? And what does that do?
0: Yeah, so the IFPDA Foundation is is, is a five oh one C three and we provide direct support to museums and other nonprofits for exhibitions, for research. We fund a lot of curatorial internships. We provide we fund the the Champion Scott acquisition prize, which is funded by Champion Scott. Those are the donors, all of the Schnitzer Talks and the Schnitzer Awards. Mm-hmm the the foundation i think is a is a really important part of just kind of the print world ecosystem not all of the grants that we give are large we give a, 100% of the revenue that the foundation earns every year goes back out in grants it has no it's it's it, it is the same staff who's running the IFPDA so donors really get like maximum bang for the buck with that mm. And if you look at the IFPDA Foundation website and see some of the, we list all of the grant recipients and the book award winners, curatorial internships, all of that. It is such a wide ranging list of institutions and individuals that we have provided support for in a, we we know that these type of, this type of funding can be, can be hard to come by. And unfortunately, maybe even harder to come by for for, for some of our print curators. Mm -hmm. So we, one of the reasons why we work so hard to make the fair as successful as we can is number one, of course, for the benefit of our members, but number two, all of the ticket revenue from the fair benefits the foundation. So that all becomes future curatorial interns and and exhibition underwriting. Mm.
1: That's wonderful. And, you know, as you say, so important. And I think part of the reason why the IFPDA is such a foundational institution for the print world at large is it's, it's not just something that puts on a, a fair, which of course is important. Fairs are a way that people interact with the art world in a in an in-person way. And that's always good. But yeah, I've known some projects that have been funded by the foundation and the print world is better for them. And yeah. so, yeah, it's, thank it, you for the, really the work rewarding. that it does.
0: It, it mm-hmm. really is. It is one of the reasons why I wanted to come work for the IFPDA. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Where can people find the IFPDA, the IFPDA Foundation, get tickets, follow exciting updates? Where do you live online?
0: All of our stuff at IFPDA.org. Super simple. And we will be at the Javis Center in New York, October 27th to the 30th tickets are online and also available on site although online in advance i think is a little bit less expensive there's a service Mm -hmm. fee at the door so yeah just go to ifpda.org and you can follow the breadcrumbs to the foundation to the fair to our list of members to our uh, page where we list all of the exhibitions and news about all of our members around the world there's a lot of information there
1: very cool. Well, Jenny, thank you so much. I'm sure this is a busy time and I really appreciate you letting me borrow an hour of it from you. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you for all the work that you do. And I, I look forward to seeing you in New York. And see you in New York. Well, that's the end of our bonus episode, Print Friends. And be on the lookout for yours truly showing up at the fair next week in person where I will be broadcasting live on the Hello Print, print Instagram We're going to see all of the exciting happenings, the great people, and of course, incredible prints. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. And I will see you in New York.